Blog Talk Radio. Hey guys, we got State of the U podcast episode 11. We got a full show for you guys on tap today. We're going to talk about all kinds of fun things. We're going to talk about Keynes baseball. We're going to talk about some Keynes football. We're going to talk about some non Kane related subjects. We're going to pick on Jameis Winston a little, maybe. Uh, but before we get all to that, we have a very special guest with us today, Mr. Josh Frank. Uh, this is a gentleman that Charlie and I refer to as our basketball consigliere. He's a guy that gives us a lot of inside information. He's kind of the the guy behind the scenes on a lot of these articles that we write about basketball. So, Josh, welcome to the show. Glad to have you. Thanks for having me. That makes me sound like I have way more knowledge than I do, but I'll do my best. Josh, don't worry about it. I make all these guys sound like they have way more knowledge than they do. So you'll fit well, in just fine. No one, I say it's a good thing no one's listening then, right? It, absolutely. All right, so, Josh, I, I want to jump right into it. Uh, you look at Miami's roster next year. You got Angel Rodriguez, DeAndre Burnett, Sheldon McClellan, um, a lot of returning players, Manu Lacan. Um, there's plenty of talent. It seems like there's one thing that's missing from this roster next year. It's another big. Um, the development of Tanya Jakiri is going to be key. Um, you and, and Charlie wrote a great article about Yvonne Cruz Uceda and, and what a key factor he could be and what a good player he is. And, of course, we have Omar Sherman as part of the recruiting class. But how are things looking for Miami as far as adding one more player? So that's certainly the, the big question of the offseason at this point. Uh, as you pointed out, there's a lot of questions with the bigs on the team. First of all, um, for those who aren't intimately familiar with the roster, we only have three guys who at this point are uh, listed at taller than 6'6", six, six, which are uh, Jakiri, Cruz, Uceda, and uh, Sherman. So two newcomers and Jakiri, who for all of his potential, you know, is still learning the game and has shown, um, you know, that he can be – a very valuable player, but he's also been inconsistent at times. As an upperclassman, you'd expect that to change, but, you know, you never know. So there's certainly a ton of question marks in the front court. Um, I think the departure of James Kelly seemed to be a bit unexpected. Um, obviously, he had some inconsistent performances throughout the year and had a, a brief suspension, but from what I understand, um, the info in his uh, the release announcement about you know, family things was not lip service, and he had some, apparently some good reasons for needing to move on. So that leaves us shorthanded, and I think, right, so right now we have 10 players on the roster for next year out of the 12 possible, having lost the uh, the NCAA uh, docked scholarship from the normal limit of 13. And, you know, there's not a ton of information out there. So the big news this past week uh, was that we had a, a visit from uh, Tayshawn Thomas from Houston. Uh, that would be the University of Houston. He is a transfer. Um, he played three years there and really is a highly sought-after player. Um, you know, he's averaged double figures in all three years there. Um, last year, his numbers were down a Go He's ahead. a shot blocker too. Am I am I not am I not mistaken? He could play a little defense too, right? Deshaun Thomas. Yes. So, so he actually um, he had I believe an average of about 
2.6, 2.7 blocks a game last year, which is somewhat unusual for you know a player listed at, at 6'8". He's not a particularly tall player. And I believe at um, one point, I don't remember if it was his freshman or sophomore season, when Houston was still in Conference USA, he was on that uh, conference's all-defensive team. I don't believe that he made it once they moved to the American last year. He was, however... Uh, second team all-conference in the American, averaging about 15 points and eight rebounds a game in addition to those, you know, two and a half to three blocks. And, you know, for all of the American being kind of a hodgepodge conference, it was the conference that produced the national champion last year. Absolutely. And that'll be UConn, uh, played in the same conference. Josh, let me be uh, Mr. Debbie Downer here. Uh, what, what other what other programs are after Deshaun Thomas, and, and what do you think the chances are it comes to UM? So the names that are out there a lot are uh, Oklahoma. It's being said that he'll be visiting Oklahoma uh, later this week. Oregon, who is always very involved with transfers. Uh, those are the two that are really out there. That being said, he's a very sought-after player, and I imagine uh, that as more clarity comes to his situation – if he hasn't committed elsewhere yet, other programs would get involved. And what I mean by more clarity to a situation is, you know, one of the big things that we expected this year for the Hurricanes to look at was a fifth-year graduate transfer. So a, a student who had graduated from his university and is eligible to transfer and play right away as long as he enrolls in a uh, graduate program. That's not the case with Thomas. He was you know, as they would say, a true junior. He was at Houston for three years and played for three years and is not going to graduate. However, there are some questions about whether he may be able to gain immediate eligibility due to the situation there, which I can elaborate on if you'd like. Um, and yeah, I think... Tell us about that. Tell us about, about the coaching change and how that pertains to transfers. Sure. So, obviously, anyone who follows the sport just in general notes has noticed that numbers of transfers have gone up uh, significantly in recent years, both, you know, regular standard transfers and now with the fifth-year rule. And so what appears to happen, and I, of course, am getting this just from media reports, like from the Houston Chronicle, is um, Houston's coach, uh, I believe Joe Dickey, left after the year was over, um, and Houston eventually brought in former Oklahoma and Indiana uh, head coach and former NBA assistant Kelvin Sampson, um, who went to the NBA after receiving severe sanctions and a show cause due to uh, some of his, his prior, I guess, um, issues that he had at those two schools. And so, um, as per usual, when there's a coaching change, players are looking to transfer uh, – Thomas and another teammate of his, uh, Daniel House, who uh, was another outstanding performer, double-digit scorer for Houston, uh, were both seeking transfers and were initially blocked by the university, which claimed that its uh, policy when there is a coaching change is that they do not grant transfer releases until the new coach is hired and until the player has had the opportunity, essentially, to be, uh, you know, to meet with the new coach and be re-recruited by them. So here's where some of the, quote-unquote, I guess, facts are in dispute. 
Um, apparently another player on Houston, and his name escapes me right now, who's a backup point guard, averaged a couple of points per game, requested a transfer um, earlier in the offseason after the coach resigned and was granted that transfer immediately with no restrictions. Uh, the two more valuable players, Thomas and House, were not granted their uh, transfers immediately and um, were, in fact, blocked from transferring. And after, even after meeting with the new coach, Kelvin Sampson, uh, decided to transfer and had to appeal to a special athletic board at the university and were eventually granted their release with uh, severe restrictions. Normally when a player transfers, they can't transfer within conference, and they can also be blocked from transferring to a school that is, uh, you know, on the schedule. Obviously in basketball, future schedules are out there, but not necessarily as far ahead as in football. Um, In this case, both Thomas and House were also blocked from transferring from any schools within the state of Texas, and I believe Thomas certainly is, but I believe they're both Texas natives. So from my understanding and my reading of the media reports, they're going to file with the NCAA for some sort of hardship waiver just based off of, you know, the idea that not only was the school not, you know, receptive to, you know, the school did not create an environment that was conducive to their success at Houston under the new coach, and electing to leave, um, they're being severely restricted beyond, you know, what has been done previously. So I don't, you know, I don't have any sources on that other than, you know, the public media reports from the Houston Chronicle, et cetera, but there are quotes from Thomas and from House and from their families saying that, you know, they were willing to give the new coach a chance and they were willing to, um, you know, explore staying in Houston, but the way the school essentially treated them as commodities rather than athletes, rather than student athletes, you know, that burned that bridge for them and they're willing to do anything, including, you know, sitting out a year to to not play there, that they didn't feel they would be able to play at the school. So... All right, so Josh, what you're in, in summary, what you're saying is, uh, it looks like there's some shady stuff going on in Houston, and with this new warm and fuzzy NCAA that's willing to give Shabazz Napier maybe some extra meals, stuff like that, maybe, maybe these guys get, you know, get the treatment, and they get they get eligible immediately. Is what you're saying in I'm, summary, right? right? I'm uh, essentially what I'm saying is that Houston, having already hired a coach with, you know, a, a stipulated shady NCAA. Uh, past may not be willing to take the further public relations hit of stopping these players from, you know, not only from where they can transfer, but also causing them to sit out an additional year if they're otherwise in good standing. So that, I think, is why Thomas is attractive to us. That being said, he's a good enough player that I wouldn't be surprised that if we took him regardless if he, in fact, wanted to commit to the school. Yeah, and that would leave Miami uh, very shorthanded next year in the front court. But I, I see what you're saying. He's a good enough player. You know, you're looking at a six eight guy that's averaging a you know close to a double double and two point however many blocks a game. That you know, if you get him for one year and it's not until the year after next, it's still worth it. They just have to you know, they just have to sail through some muddy waters next year in the front court. All right, so, well, so Josh, we- well, I say, there's, there is one point to that, though. We have two scholarships for next year, so 
getting Thomas would not preclude trying to bring in, you know, a fifth-year student with one year of eligibility remaining right? and having Thomas additionally. And for those who haven't been following, Miami's been trying really hard. There have been guys, uh, MJ Red, who's from Tennessee State, who ended up at Old Miss, um, you know, who averaged close to a double-double Miami tried to get. Um, John Horford, who was, you know, kind of a seldom-used reserve at Michigan, uh, but still ended up at Florida, which kind of surprised me personally. Um, they went after Keith Thomas, who's a JUCO player, who would have been eligible immediately, and Keith Thomas canceled his visit this past week. Did he not, Josh? So he never made it to campus. It's unclear, um, based on the reports, exactly why he didn't make it to campus. But, you know, this is just my pure speculation. Um, in doing some research on him, he had had some legal issues in his past. JUCOs are always a question with grades. And then, of course, just in general, there's always something at Miami that we have to deal with um, with students coming in and, and uh, taking visits, which is we have gotten burned in the past where we've brought in people for visits and it's turned out that they weren't serious about the school. They just wanted, this, you know, a free visit to Miami, which – more power to them. I don't blame them. Yeah, but when you get they just want to get twelve officials, check out the models. Right, you get twelve official visits a year in basketball. That's it. And you know, if you have a two or three person class, it's maybe not that hard. We've already brought in four kids. Um, so you know, I don't know exactly what our number is on on visits left at this point, but they're a very scarce commodity in the spring. And so if we've got any inkling that either Thomas wasn't personally serious about Miami or that he wasn't serious in terms of, you know, admissions, et cetera, maybe we decided that we couldn't take that risk. I'm not really sure what happened. All I know is that it was reported, um, I believe, by Adam Zagoria that not only did he not make it for his visit, but that he was no longer considering us. Don't know how mutual that was. Wow. Okay, so Josh, what we typically do on the show when we have a guest is I let the other guys, I, I, Scott and uh, Mike are sitting here patiently, and I'm sure they probably want to ask you something, and, and I want to ask you a few more things, too, before we let you go here. Uh, Scott, Absolutely. did you want to throw anything Josh's way, uh, basketball-related? Yeah, Josh, I wanted to get your opinion on James Kelly leaving the program. I wanted to know if you thought that was going to be uh, Miami taking a hit as they lose a 6-7 forward. I mean, I think... You know, regardless of, of the circumstances behind it, I do think that it's a hit, and it's a hit both from the numbers perspective. As I said before, we only have three guys on the roster who are over six six right now. Kelly had the ability to play uh, power forward and small forward at his size, and you know, even though he was inconsistent, he showed a, a shooting touch, a quick release, and also a deceptive athletic explosiveness that. You know, quite frankly, we didn't really have on our roster, and I don't think we're getting in adding, uh, you know, Cruz, Zuteta, or uh, Sherman. They're not known as that type of player. So I don't know if Kelly was a guaranteed, you know, starter, but there was certainly a place for him on this roster, um, you know, with his, his mid-range game and his athleticism. And I think that, you know, unless we're able to replace him with a, a – transfer, we will sorely miss him this coming year. And I, I, I just wanted to add to that 
that answer, though. I mean, I, I look at a guy like Sheldon McClellan. He's not six seven. He's more like six five, six six. I, I think he. I think his versatility and the development of Devon Reed over replace Kelly uh, to an extent. I mean, Kelly could play some four, but I think he was more natural at the three. I think if they're able to replace Kelly with a guy that's six eight or taller, it's actually you know it's six eight or taller and can play a little bit. It's actually a trade up. I, I, I like Kelly's game. I just didn't like his fit for this team. But. Right. That's just my two cents on on James Kelly, and, and we do wish right. him well. Uh, Mike, right. did you so, want to throw anything Josh's way? Yeah, I got one question. Um, last year we ran a very slow tempo offense due to you know the team's inefficiency inefficiencies in certain ways. Do you see us going almost completely polar opposite this year in theory because of the small team as well as the better shooting talent? Um, I certainly would expect us to play faster. You know what will be interesting to see is, you know, Coach Laranega's reputation coming from George Mason was, you know, more of an up-tempo team, the scramble defense, that nature. Um, you know, even lo- looking at this roster for the coming year, obviously we would be more suited to that than we have ever been in terms of the speed of the team, but in terms of its depth and its versatility in terms of, you know, limited size, guys who maybe can only play, you know, more wing and backcourt positions, I certainly expect us to play faster. I expect us to, you know, even if we're not getting out on the break, I don't expect us to hold the ball in the same sense that we did. Um, I would expect us to mix up our our defenses. Certainly, um, I think we'll see more man-to-man and more scramble. You know, if we're in situations where, you know, we're playing a guy who's really a, a, a swingman at, you know, the de facto four position, we may have to go to some, you know, zone or junk defenses to disguise the size limitations. But I don't expect to see a lot of Miami games where we're scoring, you know, 45 or 50 points. If we're doing that, we're not winning games next year. Josh, I wanted to throw one at you, and this is going to be one from kind of from left field. It's going to be kind of, uh, you know, less about next year's team, less about this year's team. I, I, I quote a little bit of the Mavericks-Dallas uh, game uh, before I jumped on this call, and Shane Larkin was actually in the game for Dallas, and he had a horrendous two-minute stretch. He, he turned the ball over. Um, he, he didn't really do much out there, and, and they, they put Devin Harris back in. Um I think I may have lost you there. Do you guys still have me? I can't hear Jerry. Yeah, I can't hear Jerry either, so I don't know where that was going. Um, But I I was going to say, for those who uh, weren't watching the game, I think Dallas was down about 20 to 25 at halftime. Shane Larkin had very little to do with that one way or another. Uh, looks like the Spurs put their, you know, got their act together this uh this Hey, you guys there? Yeah, yeah, we lost you in the middle of that question. Yeah, we're here. So. Yeah. Sorry, sorry about that. I, got, I, I guess uh, the basketball guys didn't want me to ask about Shane Larkin's rookie year. Uh, got disconnected there. But, uh, Josh, I want to ask you, uh, you know, what's your opinion on, on Larkin's rookie year is and, and how you think Larkin will turn out as an NBA player um, going forward? You know, I'll be 
the first thing that I'll, I, I will do here is I will say that I am in no way a uh, connoisseur of NBA basketball. That being said, you know, Shane didn't have the greatest rookie year. He, he uh, bounced back and forth with the fourth to the uh, NBA D-League a couple of times when he was on the uh, NBA roster. You know, he played limited minutes, and, and his stats weren't that great. That being said... I think that that probably, you know, for me was about what I was expecting. As great a college player as Shane was, um, in some ways, you know, he's limited by his his size. And, and you know, the thing that I've heard the most from, from guys I've talked to who've ever played professionally, whether it's the NBA or, or Europe or otherwise, is even coming from a league like the ACC – you know, the, the, the speed of the game and the athleticism of the players around you is just exponentially better. So I think Shane is a smart kid, he's a talented kid, and he's a hardworking kid, and I think that he'll definitely um, improve going into next year. But, you know, he's a five foot 11, 175-pound guard. He needs to figure out, you know, obviously he'll need to improve his outside shooting. There's that additional three feet or so in the NBA for your three-pointers. And he'll need to figure out, you know, some of the, the layups and the floaters and things that were available to him in college aren't going to be there in the NBA. And he'll need to figure that out. Um, one thing that, you know, looking at his stats real quick that look, does look positive to me is that he had close to a two-to-one assist to turnover ratio, which isn't bad for, you know, a rookie point guard, especially in, you know, limited minutes where you don't really get a lot of uh, rhythm, you know, and you're not running your own team. So there's certainly there's the material there, and I know that Shane has the ability to do better. You know, is he ever is he ever going to be a, a superstar in the NBA? Probably not. But, you know, I hope that he continues to improve and that he represents this program in the league for the next 15 years because he's a great kid and you know, he's a great asset to our universe. Uh, yeah, I... I agree with you there, and I, I always compare him um, to some of the smaller point guards I've seen over the years, like a, a Tyrone Lue comes to mind. Uh, I know some people think that he could possibly be better and could be like a Ty Lawson, but that's, um, you know, very ambitious. But we'll, we'll have to see how it pans out with Shane, and, and we're certainly rooting for him. And hopefully a few other guys that are on the team now can maybe join him at some point in the NBA. Uh, it's always good uh, as James Jones and John Salmons kind of wind down their career you always look for the next guy to represent the U in the in the association. So uh, right now, well, she's I, I, I would say that there are you know a couple of guys on the roster now certainly who have the potential to be NBA players, and you know hopefully it'll happen. The, the best recruiting tool to any you know fifteen sixteen year old high school kid is to be able to point and say I put this player in the league. I, you know I put this player in the first round. I put this player in the lottery. So hopefully that upward trend for the program will continue because it had been a long time since, as you said, pointing out guys like Sammons and Jones, the guys who are in the league, it had been a long time since we had put someone who was steadily in the NBA from our program. Who are the guys on the on the current roster you think have a shot? And I know that's that's putting a lot of pressure on these guys, but, but who do you think uh, can possibly make it? Well, so the two guys who I think everybody thinks are, are would be obvious candidates uh, number one would be McClellan. Um, Sheldon McClellan, you know, 
you can look at his Texas tenure and say that it did not go great, but he was a double-digit scorer twice in a major conference, and his freshman year shooting percentages were certainly better than his sophomore year. He is, you know, he was a top 50, top 60 recruit um, out of high school, you know, said to be very athletic, very dynamic, and, you know, with a year or two, or I guess if you count his transfer year, possibly three, in the Miami program learning, you know, from a fountain of basketball wisdom that is Coach Jim Laranega, um, there's certainly potential for him to go uh, to the league. I've heard, you know, that he is, you know, was often the best player in practices last year. That being said, we do tend to get that word a lot from players who are sitting out, and it doesn't yeah. always uh, bear fruit the way we'd like it to. Yeah, I don't know but, if you heard uh, the podcast a couple of weeks back, Josh, but Donovan Kirk and, and Justin Heller were on, and they both had they both raved about McClellan. You know, it, it, they said he was a little taller than 6'5". He's gotten bigger since his years at Texas, and he has a 44-inch vertical leap. So those guys right. were saying, you know, that McClellan was really standing out in practice. So. Right. He's... He's a tremendous athlete. There are, you know, the one thing for the most part that a lot of college kids don't realize is everybody in the NBA to almost, you know, with almost no exceptions, was at some level, you know, a really good scorer or really athletic or really whatever you want to say. And the thing that makes you stand out is, you know, defense, IQ, and shooting. Because, and so, you know, there's been rumors, I guess, that part of what happened at Texas was, you know, McClellan's commitment to overall defense. And even Coach Larnega said it in his press conferences that he needs to be more focused on the defensive side of the ball because he has the athleticism and length to be a lockdown perimeter defender. Um, if he commits to that, if he can improve his shooting numbers to somewhere, you know, closer to and then above where they were as a freshman, there's no re- there's no reason why, you know, McClellan shouldn't get looks. He he is the prototypical NBA shooting guard in terms of you know size and athleticism. Um, the next guy, and of course, in a sense, this is going out on a limb. In another sense, it's the most obvious one. The next guy who has that NBA potential would be Tanya Jakiri because he's extremely athletic and he's seven feet tall. He has not, to this point, shown the skill set or the consistency to be an NBA player. He hasn't. He's not an NBA player as of this minute, and he's not anywhere particularly close to it. But he has the raw tools that a lot of guys just don't have. There aren't a lot of guys who are seven feet who run like a gazelle who – you know, have that body type. And so, you know, NBA scouts always look for players like that. They always seem to be willing to take people on potential and, you know, assume that they can be molded into something useful at that next level. And you see it every year where guys are, you know, who've had, you know, very productive college careers are not, are taken behind players who were less productive but more prototypical in terms of the athleticism or the the raw ability. Now, what would be interesting to me, and this is just 
purely a thought experiment, is, you know, if Jakiri gets to that sort of medium point at the end of his four years where he's still somewhat raw, but obviously he has this tantalizing and intriguing athleticism and size, do NBA GMs and scouts, you know, do they hold it against him in the sense that he spent four years with a coach who's clearly known for player development? And did they, you know, did they look at his ceiling as maybe lower than, you know, a similar player, or if he had gone to another school with a coach who's known more for, you know, recruiting or otherwise versus four years under Laranaga's tutelage? Uh, that's just something that just occurred to me now, but, it, you know, I mean, even Coach Laranaga has implied that he needs to become, uh, you know, a gym rat and that he needs to really figure out how to get consistent. And, you know, th- this is certainly the place and time for him to do it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, we we expected a bigger jump between his freshman and sophomore years, and um, we'll see what he does between his sophomore and junior years. Next, next year is going to be a big year in the development of Tanya Jakiri, and certainly the way the roster looks now, he's going to have to log a lot of minutes. So, um, I mean, I, I can't, you know, there were points where he didn't start this year where we went with, you know, Kirk and Kelly, et cetera. I don't really know what Tanya Jakiri would have to do with the way this roster is currently constructed, to not start and to not play 30 minutes a game. I mean, I, yeah. I don't really see how it could happen unless we decide to play five guards. Yeah. Well, certainly, you know, it's going to be very uh, intriguing next year to see how they do things unless they add uh, some more front court players. And, Josh, we're going to move forward from basketball now, but we appreciate you coming on. Do you want to stick around and talk some uh, baseball and football with us? Um. I can do that, but let me just say one last thing about the the basketball thing and the addition thing. For those who are listening who are worried, yes, it would be great to know what the answer was on May 4th. We did not know that Donovan Kirk was going to transfer to the University of Miami as a fifth-year graduate transfer until June 12th of last year. So, you know, the rosters in NCAA basketball, even though we passed spring signing, et cetera, are not – as final, as, you know, constructed with the finality that I think many of us would expect at this point. So there's not a lot out there right Shane now. Larkin. To your but, point, Josh, when did Shane Larkin on campus his first year? That August? Right. Now, Larkin was a bit of a, you know, weird situation in terms of transferring and getting a waiver, et cetera. But, yeah, I mean, you look at, you know, other players, if you look at, you know, foreign big guys like Alex Len, who was at Maryland, who was a lottery pick last year, he didn't get added to the Maryland roster until, I think, two or three days before their fall semester started. So not saying that we have a seven-foot Ukrainian or a fifth-year kid that we're just waiting to reveal to the world, but I'm saying that the first game next year is, I believe, November 14th. The second Friday in November is always the opening night for college basketball. We're a long way away from that. So, yes, let's pay attention and let's hold the staff to, you know, constructing a, a viable team with a viable front court. But let's not panic, you know, the first weekend of May. They just ran the Kentucky Derby yesterday. Right. Josh, uh, great segment. And, and here you were at the beginning saying you didn't know that much. <laughs> I don't. Great, I just great talk job. a lot. And I, I, I assume I put everyone to sleep so they won't have figured it out yet. 
I, I think I heard Scott snoring in the background. You still with us, Scott? All I know is we're 99 hours left before Roger Goodell hits the gavel on the first pick of the NFL draft, and we're talking college basketball draft. Yeah, we well, got a way to go. For, for guys like myself and Josh, college basketball season never ends. It's 365 days a year. We we love the other stuff too. And uh, Mike, who's one year, uh, uh, he Mike's from the same area of the world as you, Josh. Did you know that? Um, not not officially, but nice to nice to meet you, uh, fellow neighbor. I guess. But yep. Mike's watching. He's not even paying attention. He's watching the Nationals game right now, probably. Well, they have four hits, so there's not much to be watching, to be honest with you. <laughs> all right, guys. Let, so, to Scott's point, we all love college basketball. Let's let's talk about some other stuff. Uh, uh, we're going to do this briefly because it's almost like a, a broken record talking Canes baseball uh, every week on the podcast, how how good they've been playing. Uh, they won today again. They've won 21-23. Uh, Scott, I'm going to start with you. Uh, how many games have you caught, and, and what are you seeing? What, what's been the key to success? They're getting timely hitting, and they're getting very good starting pitching. They're not having to go that deep into the bullpen. Uh, they're, they're able to get seven good innings out of their starters, and they're getting good clutch hits. Abreu is playing well. Carey's playing well. Zach Collins is hitting the cover off the ball. Uh, they're, they're, they're playing the way that they're supposed to be playing. They're a very good baseball team, and that, and that's the way a very good baseball team plays. They're beating the teams that they should be beating. Now, Scott, earlier we all remember you were very critical of Coach Morris. Uh, even with the winning, do you still think they butt too much? Do you think their approach offensively is too conservative? I do think they play a little conservative. Uh, I remember one of the games, one of the parents was saying, well, my son never bunted in high school, and now he's bunting here, and he's a power hitter. And uh, I, I, I just still don't buy into the whole Jim Morris campaign. And, and uh, I, I think this team is capable of being even better than what it is. Uh, I, I think he's holding them back, so to speak. Uh, you know, who the answer is, you know, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if that, that question is ready to be asked yet. But um, it'll be interesting to see not what this team does in April and May, but what they do once it, once regional time rolls around, uh, if, if this team needs to get to Omaha, I think for for Morris to be viewed as as a contender to come back next year. To his credit, though, to Morris's credit, though, they had a lot of problems early in the season defensively. Um, last night they committed four errors and they lost to Alabama State, which was a bit disappointing. But but they bounced back and took the series today. Um, their play has been a lot cleaner lately. Um, before I move on to Mike, Scott, how much do you attribute to that to Coach Morris? I mean, you have to give some credit where credit's due. The play's been cleaner. I just think they have a lot of very good players on the team, and I think that this is what happens when you you, you get more games under your belt. You start to play like a seasoned veteran. Uh, you know, baseball's a long season. It's not like football where you're only playing 10 to 12 games a year. Uh, the players are just improving. They're They're aging. They're 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 coming into their own and they're starting to be able to develop and play with the skills that they played with in high school and I, I don't know how much I do credit to to Jim Morris maybe I, I don't credit him enough uh, I know he's got a very solid group of assistants that work with the players on a daily basis on the fundamentals and I think that that's where some of the accolades need to go. Uh, 
I think he's got a very good staff put together. Mike, how about you? You call much of the Kings baseball uh, of late? Um, I've been keeping up with what you guys post online. I occasionally watch the gym, see them on like ESPNU. But I actually have a question for you guys. Um, what's the overall strength of schedule in the ACC that we've played? Because I saw a couple games they're playing like Notre Dame, who's not very good, and a few other guys, a few other teams that besides like the Clemsons and I guess North Carolina, Georgia Tech's not having a very good year. But are we playing a really good ACC schedule right now in the sense that it's helping us get on this role that we've been on for, I guess, what, almost six weeks now? Um, or are we kind of, I guess you would say, getting lucky because we're playing teams that are not as good? But that's just one question I had. Jerry, I can take that if you like. I, I, so, think, that what, I think that what the Canes are doing right now is they're beating the teams that they should be beating. And in years past, they'd be losing these games. They also had a very successful trip to, to Boston College, who has a very good team. And they also had a very successful trip to Clemson, who was ranked number, uh, number 20 uh, in the country at the time, and, and they swept them. So, yes, they, they have a pretty good strength of schedule, but they're also beating the teams that they should be beating. You know, earlier in the season, they were losing to teams like Bethune-Cookman, whereas now they're blowing those teams out. Uh, so things are starting to come together for the Canes, and they're starting to play good baseball. The, the fundamentals are there. The, they're 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 just playing real real sound good baseball. Scott, can I add something to that real quick? Um, I, I read every release that the school sends us um, for baseball, especially because it's not like with basketball. I watch all the games. Uh, with baseball, I try and take in as much information as I can because I don't get an opportunity to watch every game. And uh, I, I, I may be um, off here because the statistic I'm about to provide was provided uh, about two weeks ago. They had the 24th-ranked uh, strength of schedule in the NCAA for baseball. Um, and if you look, it was actually strangely considered at the conference game, Florida State, uh, they played a series with them, and because they weren't scheduled on their ACC schedule, they actually just scheduled each other anyway, and it was considered at a conference. But they also played Florida, and um, they played a lot of really good teams early when they were struggling. Um, how much that helped them, I'm not sure. But um, to kind of answer your question with statistic, their their strength of schedule is ranked 24th, the last I've heard anything. So. Uh Josh, are you much of a Canes baseball fan? Um, I certainly, when I was in school, went to games. Actually, baseball is my favorite sport, and it's what I grew up playing. I admit that it is more difficult to follow now, because, uh, being out of the area, and you know the internet's wonderful, but there's still only so many uh, you know weekend nights or sunny weekend afternoons that I want to spend sitting in front of my laptop. So. I do keep up with the team. I've unfortunately not actually gotten to see much of them this year. I've caught maybe two or three games um, this year. All right. So we won't grill you on uh, the ins and outs of Canes baseball the way we did basketball. Uh, I want to move on to another topic really quick. And and Scott and uh, Mike, I'm going to start with you guys on this. Uh, Miami signed a defensive tackle last week. and you know, if you're, you know, a Kings fan, and you spend any time on the message boards. This is cause for celebration among our fan base. Anytime we sign a defensive tackle, 
apparently he's a pretty good one. Um, Quintez Johnson. Uh, I think he's about six foot four, three thirty, and he's still in high school. So, uh, what are you guys' impressions of this guy? What have you heard about him? What have you seen of him on film? Um, and how important is it for us to, to round out this class with more defensive talent, especially up front? I'm going to start with you on this one, Mike. Um, they haven't signed him, right? He's for the next class, correct? Uh, yeah, no, he's not signed. He's just a verbal commit. So, and yeah. and let me add uh, this one caveat before we get too excited. There's rumors that uh, FSU is already circling the water on this kid. So, there's yeah. a chance he doesn't end up in Coral Gables at all, but... You know, when we get these verbal commits, we like to discuss them anyway. Um, sure. So, so what do you know about this guy? Um, well, I, just from the recruiting aspect, I've heard that um, from – now, I'm, Cam would be better at this than I would, but um, I've heard it's a very um, – not to be a Debbie Downer, but a very soft one, uh, you know, verbal. Um, I may be wrong, but he is looking at other places too, so it's not like a lockdown, I'm done looking uh, situation yet. But – I mean, just from the intangibles, if he's 6'4", you know, 300-plus pounds, I mean, he fits the defensive tackle mold we want, which is essentially to run three of them out there um, and then have a hybrid guy. So um, when you're looking at defensive tackles, we really run with three of them. So, you know, if you could get in the rotation, that's great. It's, it would be nice if we bring in more impact guys. Last year we had one impact defensive tackle come in. Um, we missed out on a few more, but it is what it is. Um, but if you get, you know, guys that are not just journeymen or transfers like we've had to the last few years to fill out depth, um, it's always nice to bring in a guy that you can hypothetically redshirt or can play a little bit situationally in his first year. Um, you know, you can't ask these guys to go in and start from day one as defensive tackles as freshmen. But, you know, it's nice to see. But um, with the whole recruiting cycle, you know, we have, gosh, what, nine months until they sign on the dotted line or if it's an early enrollee, it's, I guess, seven. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll temper my expectations until uh, we can get them in. But it is nice to see that Miami, this class so far, is definitely going after quality um, rather than quantity, which we've had to in the past. Um, so hopefully, in, you know, a few months going forward, we can see what happens. But let me ask you a follow-up question, Mike, because you did some, some good work for us talking about Miami's, you know, subtle, not-so-subtle move to the 3-4. Um mm-hmm. How many guys do you think they? How many quality defensive tackles do you think they need to have on their roster until they fully metamorphosize into a three-four defense? What, what does the rotation well, I, need to be? I mean, I think what's interesting is is you can bring guys in. I guess like next class, hypothetically with Patchen, right? He's like what six-four, two-twenty. Obviously, needs to put on a lot of weight. Maybe even be taller than that, six-six. Um, but it depends because sometimes you have guys that are just like a Casey Hampton in the pros who's you know, 330, 360 pounds, or a Vince Wilford, they're obviously playing the nose tackle. They're not going to be playing defensive end. Then you have guys that are like Kamalu, who's, what, 300 pounds. You can play all three positions. So um, for nose tackle specifically, um, you probably want two or three, but total for, I mean, I've never played football, but, you know, seeing a roster, I'd say for total defensive tackles, including nose tackles, probably six to eight. And that's not including, like, the guys that play rush end. I'm um, just talking about defensive tackles so that you can, you know, these guys are big guys, and unfortunately they can't run around all day. You know, this isn't Madden where you can turn the fatigue off and let three guys play and you're done. Um, you have to have rotational guys. So I would say six would give you be thin, eight would probably be optimal, um, just for practices too. Scott, 
nothing gets our fan base in a, a bigger fervor than the announcement that a defensive tackle is coming to campus. I mean, it's even like, from my perspective, it's even more exciting to our fan base than when a quarterback signs. Uh, how much has blown out of proportion? How much do you think it has because of the tradition with guys like Cortez Kennedy, Warren Sapp? You know, isn't Miami almost like defensive tackle you as much as it is quarterback you? What's well, your now, perspective on this? Well, now I think it's based on need. I mean, defensive tackle is one of your biggest needs that you have on the whole football team. And I think last two seasons proved that. You had teams that were running all over us. Now, when you look at a guy like Quintez, Okay, he plays the zero. He plays the nose tackle position, or he plays the one technique. And uh, he's right now a three-star, and he's playing the position very well. And uh, you know my thoughts on the, the whole integrity in the recruiting process as to uh, players honoring their, their their commitments. And I'd like to see this kid stick. I'd like to see him honor his commitment. I've, I've seen some tape on him on the Internet, and he he does look like a good, solid player for us. I think he he can come in and play right away, uh, especially with us with us moving to a three four. He'd be solid at the nose position, where they're they're a little light uh, 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 right now. Um, and I think you're right. I think that we do get excited over the, the, the defensive tackles, and and Miami's had a bunch of good ones over the years, starting with uh, Jerome Brown, uh, you know Warren Sapp, Russell Maryland, you know. Miami's had probably as many defensive tackles uh, uh, go to the pros uh, uh, as they've had quarterbacks. So I think it's a, it's a very exciting proposition for the fans, and, and it's a position right now of tremendous need. The linebacking core is pretty solid. The, the, the defensive backs, they, they recruited real well last year. They've got Hester and uh, uh, Marcus Guyton coming in, and I, I, I think that they're going to be very, very satisfied with, with with those two players, but where they need the, the, the most help right now is up front. You make a good point. Uh, you know, I, I I pick on our fan base a little bit with the obsession with defensive tackle, but in all reality, the way that the teams played the run the past couple of years, it is probably uh, not even probably it is really the the biggest need on the team. So that, that's a fair analysis, and that's a good. Uh, come back for my ridicule of the overexcitement. I'm going to drag Josh into this question now, uh, this conversation. Josh, <laughs> yes, if you sir. had to go one way or the other, what do you think is a bigger need for Miami football, uh, for Miami sports, a defensive tackle or a big man for basketball? Um, for Miami sports, uh, I guess I would have to say defensive tackle because I know that things have improved in terms of how uh, – Many people follow the basketball teams, but I also remember some lonely nights uh, in the stands there. So I'm going to say that far more people care about the defensive tackle than they do uh, the, the, the four-man for next year. That, that's absolutely 100% correct. Uh, we, we joke amongst ourselves that on, on a good day, if we get a discussion going on Miami basketball, maybe 90 people on the whole planet really uh, get involved. So uh, maybe that number is up to 100 now. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I mean, obviously, if you were to, you know, weight the, the sports equally and say, you know, one quote-unquote maybe starter out of 22 versus one out of five, obviously, you know, uh, an individual basketball player is more of an impact. But if there's anybody who actually is still listening at this point in the 
the podcast after we talked about basketball and baseball first. You know, we're going in reverse order for most Miami yeah. fans today. So, <laughs> you know, you bring up a good point, and maybe I need to hire a producer for these things because I really, uh, we really did. We, it's like making making somebody sit through like you know an opera before like getting to watch the circus. Uh, we really did this reverse, but I. I you know, and I, I don't make any bones about it. People that know me best, and I say this all the time on these podcasts and people who see the things I write, uh, basketball has always been my passion as far as, you know, sports. I love football, too. I love baseball, too. But uh, I, I enjoy talking basketball. And, um, you know, yeah, the people that are still listening, we apologize for making you sit through an hour of uh, mm-hmm. basketball and baseball first. All right. So, guys, great answers. Uh, appreciate um the first two segments, even if we did bore half of our listeners to sleep, there aren't that many of you guys out there anyway. Um, I, I want to get to the, the portion of the show that we do every week where we go off of the um, obvious stuff about canes and we get into non-cane-related topics and we talk about sports in general. Um, um, before I do that, did anybody want to add anything to that conversation? You guys are good? All right. All right. First thing I want to talk about in the non-cane-related segment of the show is uh, Jameis Winston. I'm going to ask all three of you guys your opinions. Uh, you know, don't go overboard on the guy because, as Miami fans, it's 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 already uh, regarded as poor taste for us to talk too much about NFC players. <laughs> uh, let me start with Scott because I know Scott is like, you know, chomping at the bits to get on Jameis here. Uh, for those who are living under a rock, Jameis Winston was issued a citation, not arrested, uh, issued a citation, and will probably have to do some community service for stealing crab legs from a supermarket in Tallahassee this week. Scott, what's going on with this guy? What does a player have to do in Tallahassee to get himself arrested and charged? I, I just don't understand it. The man commits a crime. And he's given a civil citation. Is that what they do to all Heisman winners? Is that what they do to all all FSU football players? I mean, the man committed a crime. If you or I did that, we'd be in the pokey. That's what now, bothers me. That's that's what bothers me the most about this is that he's being treated differently, and they don't want to treat college football players any differently than anyone else. And that's that's what the big standard is, is that they have to be treated like any other student. Well, I promise you, if the number one engineering student went in and did that, he'd be in jail. Jameis is just being Jameis. He needs to make better decisions. He needs to think about what he does. And what's the matter? He, he, He got home, he sat home for a few hours and didn't realize that he didn't pay for these things and didn't go back to Publix and say, hey, let me pay for this? What's up with that? Um, here's what I'm here's what I've heard, and I have absolutely no um proof of this. I mean I, I have you know, this is just what I've heard. So so take this with a grain of salt. What I've heard, um, very unconfirmed, is that Florida State players have been doing this particular thing in uh, supermarkets for a long time now, and it's generally people turn the other eye. So the speculation, and again, it's purely speculative, 
is that Jameis thought he was just participating in the long-standing practice of football players taking what they want from that supermarket, and he was as surprised as anybody when they actually, uh, you know, uh, stopped him. So, or, or came actually came back and found him um, when somebody reported it. So, take that as you will. It still doesn't make it right, but that seems to be a logical uh, uh, explanation to me. Now. Mike, let me ask you this. Let me ask you to wear an NFL GM hat for a second. Uh, if, I can interject, if I can interject one thing, Jerry. Yep. He was he was suspended by the baseball team for two games. Yeah. Petty theft. Well, you know they're not they're not going to suspend them for football. You already know no. that's not going to happen. No, 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 not at all. There, there will be enough people. Yeah. Mike, let me ask you. Let me ask you to pretend you're the GM of the Washington Redskins for a second. Uh, Robert Griffin Jr. retires, hypothetically. You're in the market for a quarterback. You have a top five pick. Jameis is going to be available to you, let's say, next year. He declares, which I'm sure he probably will. Um, uh, does, does do his off-the-field actions concern you? Um, I think in comparison to other off-field issues like Ray Rice, who I've believe is about to go to court or just got off of that. I just saw some news on that. Or like Adam Jones, not, it didn't, I don't think he got charged with it, but shooting someone and paralyzing them years ago. Um, you know, these are, these are very low level things that he's done. Well, I mean, the, the alleged, what happened a couple, well, about a year and a half ago was very serious and, you know, he didn't get charged with that one. But, uh, you know, what the NFL does now, especially like I think Des Bryant has it, is they just have, for certain guys that seem to find their way into trouble, they have, you know, protective services, i.e. security teams that just essentially go with these guys everywhere they go to make sure they don't screw themselves up. Um, so I, I, if you had a quarterback in the need, it's people have played, you know, in the league with bigger issues. So, yeah, I would absolutely take them if I, if I needed a quarterback. Um, and this situation has happened before where people just, un- unfortunately, they need to be ba- babysat from themselves. Um, and so it's happened before, so I don't see why not. You don't do it now. And, and you make a good point because Johnny Manziel, uh, although, you know, perhaps wasn't charged or, or, you know, it's a different situation signing some autographs, but he seemed to recover nicely and his draft stock still seems, uh, you know, to be strong. Uh, heading into next Thursday. Uh, Josh, let me ask you this. Uh, I like to pick on our fan base. I don't know why, because I'm one of them. But our fan base can be a little bit paranoid about things. Let me ask you this. Do you really do you believe if Jameis Winston was a Miami Hurricane and had done this, things would be worse for him? Do you think people would be calling for harsher uh, you know, penalties towards him? Not necessarily, um, and you know, not and not as it pertains to the more the more recent things. You know, as you were talking about, like the um, you know the arrangement that the team may have unofficially had with that you know supermarket, etc. Um, I think a lot of fans have accepted that things like that go on uh, all across the country, and for something that's so minor as you know what essentially amounts to you know, petty theft of $30 of food. It's not necessarily showing good judgment. I don't know that he would be killed for it as, you know, a hurricane because it's just as easy for, you know, somebody who's throwing uh, those those stones at the, the glass house to set, you know, to make 
Miami Hurricane comments as this make you know criminal comments or whatever else. Um, if he, you know, was if this was getting brushed off and he went to an actual program that was you know quote unquote choir boys and never had problems, then yeah, we'd be talking about something. But FSU isn't exactly a uh, you know shining uh, bastion of, of integrity in its uh, football program, and it's not recognized as one. So I don't think he'd be getting you know raked over the coals any worse if he was wearing green and orange. Yeah, and yeah, I, I, I like your your point towards the end there because I, I get a lot of flack from FSU fans I talk to about Miami's troubles, but little do we forget that Bobby Bowden had to vacate a, a number of wins uh, because of an academic scandal there. Uh, Peter Warwick, Lavernius Coles, I can go on and on, Free Shoes University, so on and so forth, but I'm going to jump off of this topic. Uh, we can go on and on about Jameis Winston, but I'll leave that up to the guys at Tomahawk Nation uh, to do their part on that. Uh, I want to talk about something else that came up this week, and I, I don't know that much about it, so I'm going to ask you guys about it. I'm going to start with Mike on this one. Uh, there was talk that uh, Showtime wanted to do a hard knocks type series with a college football program, and they had UM uh, in their crosshairs, and Miami rejected the notion. Can you can you give me a uh, a little bit of what you know about that and, and your opinion on it? Uh, yeah, I just saw it on the Miami Herald and through all the social media. Essentially, I think Showtime came to them, I think it was like last summer actually, and asked if they wanted to do it. But uh, they they turned it down. They think they had, from what I understand, and it's a lot of you know unofficial or just word of mouth, is they had um, a disagreement on certain things on how it would be shown. I know from coaching standpoint. Um, especially going week to week. I know Hard Knocks or HBO is four weeks or five weeks of the preseason, um, which is a great show, by the way, if you ever watch it. Um, but this one, from what I understand, was going to be the entire season, um, which is – it's really hard for you have cameras around you all the time and doing the interviews. You know, ask Mac Brown at Texas. He hated it. Um, so the coaches may not necessarily have agreed to that, and that the university wasn't really on board with a certain thing. Um, but the interesting part was Ray Lewis was going to be a producer or director on the show um, to help, you know, do interviews and lay out certain things, which would have been a really interesting, um, you know, dynamic. But it didn't happen. And will it happen in the future? Who knows? Not Maybe at UM, maybe not. But it, Hard Knocks is a great show. I would have loved to have seen mine. We could have all gotten all that great news um, real time. It would have been cool. But that's what I know. And maybe a little bit more. I don't know. Josh, let me let me get to you here for a second. Uh, one thing that we've seen in the Laranaga era, for those who watch, is that he does a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. I mean, uh, last year before the Duke game, he led ESPN in the locker room. Uh, they've done a number of documentary-type things. Um, he did a whole thing, I think it was called Beating Number 1, about that entire day at Duke, how Laranaga's day went, and, you know. Uh, so Jim Laranaga's had a really open program to the media since he got there. Um, can you talk to me about how much you think that could help a team? Do you think it could be a distraction? Does it help with recruiting? And and then um, give me your opinion on the hard knocks, uh, quote-unquote hard knocks situation with the football team. I, I think um, it's primarily my, my biggest, I guess, decision point as to whether you would do something like that or not do something like that. You know, considering all the other pros and cons is needs. Uh, the University of Miami basketball program, since Leonard Hamilton had left, was basically nowhere. And 
you know, anything to get it positive attention is good. And whether some of those things like a behind-the-scenes video or whatever else may be a bit of a distraction, you know, it, it may be. I wasn't there. I don't know how it did or didn't affect how the team prepared, etc. But Jim Laranega has a much greater uphill struggle with getting, you know, positive recognition for University of Miami basketball than Al Golden or any coach will have for University of Miami football. So, um, you know, Very it's, much it's a risk-reward yeah. Yeah, risk scenario. And, you know, anybody who's seriously considering, you know, the University of Miami for football knows what our reputation is, knows our history, knows our logo, knows everything else, you know, they're going to have the opportunity to make up their mind based on a lot of other things beyond exposure on a television show. With our basketball program, you know, I don't know that it's had any real impact on recruiting or the fans or anything else, but the familiarity just wasn't there, in my opinion. Thanks. And I I want to, Scott, I want to ask you the same thing about uh, the University of Miami. But before I ask you that, Scott, as a Dolphin guy, has there ever been a more awkward moment in the history of the Hard Knock series than when Joe Philbin cut Chad Johnson? <laughs> I want well, you to answer me that first. I think that I think that was a very special moment between the two of them. And I also liked it when Mike Sherman was yelling at Javorski Lane for showing up late to a meeting. And when um they were also yelling at uh the tight end, uh uh Michael Agnew. Sherman said, if I was the general manager, I'd cut you right now. <laughs> I mean, that's really got to make you feel real good. Yeah, I, that, that's the thing about the series. You do catch some real special moments. I, I know uh, watching the Jets one, there are quite a few with Rex Ryan. Uh, they made fun of the kid from Alabama. I, I thought that was pretty terrible, the linebacker. You know, they're saying this guy was a national championship linebacker. He can't play with a you-know-what. Um, and, you know, Rex Ryan running around campus eating everybody's food was a little bit absurd to me too but Scott what's your opinion on on UN passing up this opportunity Uh, I think any opportunity to showcase your program is a good opportunity but Miami has such a young team right now uh, that it might have gotten in the way and I know that they've been working on it for two years trying to get the deal done and um, I know Chris Freed finally you know pulled the plug on it and said it's not going to happen um, I'm not too upset by it. You know, it, it certainly doesn't uh, propel you to any stardom. People know the logo. People know UM. Uh, and I don't think anybody's going to come to UM so they can appear on a Showtime special. Uh, they're going to come to UM so they can win an ACC championship and win a national championship and play for one of the signature programs in the NCAA. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm not too troubled by it. Uh, I think it would have given us some good exposure, but... I, I really don't think it would have assisted in, 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 in recruiting. I don't think it would have been a tool that that, uh, that that they would have been able to use to nudge one player to come over another. Um, I'm not troubled by it at all. All right, thanks, Scott. All right, so guys, we tied that to that uh, segment in EPO. Um Before we end the show. I just want to conclude, talk a little bit about the NFL draft, which starts, uh, I believe, this Thursday. Uh, they're going to do round one, and I think they do round two Friday, and then they conclude on the weekend. 
which they've turned the draft into a marathon now, which in my opinion is a little bit uh, drawn out. But uh, let me start with you first, Josh. Uh, what's your biggest storyline heading into this draft? Uh, I think the biggest storyline heading into the NFL draft is just the, the general, you know, the, the chaos at the, the top in terms of, you know, there's not only is there not really a clear number one pick, there's a lot of, uh, of things that, you know, are going to depend on, on what Houston does at the top, at, et cetera. You know, it, it's not like you can sit here and go, oh, well, do we take Peyton Manning or do we take Ryan Leaf, and then everything else falls into place. There's been, you know, if you were to look and say that Houston was going to take a quarterback, there's been, you know, four or five guys who they've been rumored with, you know, for, you know, the entire offseason. You know, Bridgewater was at one point everyone's consensus number one pick. Now after some of his workouts, people are questioning whether he's still a first-rounder. You know, are they going to go the opposite direction and take Clowney, or do they take, you know, Mac, who is maybe the same physical specimen but less well-known? Um and I might have got his name wrong, which maybe proves the point. Um, so, you know, I just think that the the, the general the chaos is, is there. Are all these teams going to stay with their picks? And if so, you know, they have a lot of options there because there's no sure things and there's no sure needs across those top, you know, five top ten teams like there might be in other years. Scott, how about you? What's your biggest storyline? Storyline for me is where the quarterbacks are going to go, and are they all going to fall into place? And how far is Teddy Bridgewater going to fall? Um, I, I think that uh, you, you're going to see quarterbacks uh, taken as early as the number three or number four pick, but then after the first one or two are off the board, it, it, it just, it's, it's really going to be touch and go as to whether or not they're going to go in the first round or the second round. Uh, Teddy went from from being a, a candidate for the first pick in the draft to being the first pick in the second round, and he he might even fall farther, um, which doesn't upset me, by the way. I still hold a grudge. And um, I'd like to see what the Dolphins do at the 19th pick. I, I'd like to see them uh, not take an offensive tackle. I'd like to see them wait on a tackle. I'd, I'd like to see them take Marquise Lee from USC and uh, or a, a tight end if possible. Uh, and give Ryan Tannehill some more weapons. Interesting. Uh, Mike, other than the uh, quarterbacks and where they fall, what do you think is the biggest storyline of this draft? Um, I know the last few years that the trend, if you can call it a trendy position, has been the offensive line. Um, They seem to go really early the last few years because teams value, obviously, protecting the number one commodity, which is the quarterback. Um, and I think the last few years they've been the number one overall pick. Some guys from smaller schools you never heard of necessarily. Um, so that was one thing. I want to see if there's going to be a lot of offensive linemen like the past few years. But what I think is great about this time, I mean, obviously you're talking about the NFL drafts and how they break out over multiple days because of, you know, the almighty dollar. I think this, the other part, which is really interesting, is all these people come out with their, you know, mock drafts, and I think they get maybe like 50% of the, you know, if that, like even right at all, like remotely similar um, I think what's great is is they have all these mock drafts and like Mel Kiper and Todd McShay and they do a great job and but they're all thrown out once there's trade. Um and it just throws everything out of whack. And I've heard the Atlanta Falcons are trying to jump up so they can maybe even get clowny. Um a couple people are trying to trade down so um it's an interesting time, so I'll be looking I'll I'm not gonna watch it. I'll I'll 
keep you know tabs on it, but I want to see if there's going to be a lot of trades and trading up, trading down. The Patriots are known to always do it, so um, trading down and out anyway usually. But that's really what I'm going to look forward to seeing is what's going to happen. If, you know, the other players and where everybody's going to go. Mike, just follow me on Twitter. I'll I'll, I'll be giving you gavel to gavel updates. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, for me, it, it's it's a really interesting draft. There are guys like Clowney, Manziel. There, there are some headliners, but it's an exceptionally deep draft. Um, so we'll have to see where the chips fall. Um, I, I really think Sammy Watkins has a chance to be special. If he didn't go in the top five, I'd be shocked. I, I think he's um, head and shoulders above a very good wide receiver class. Um, so we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, it should be pretty cool. Um, it's it's going to be drawn out. It's going to be long. Uh, there's going to be a lot of rumors, conjecture. Uh, you know, guys like Mike Mayock and and the guys on ESPN are going to spend hours and hours and hours uh, overanalyzing guys, and you won't even know if they're going to be good until you know a year or two into their career. So, um, but it's never boring. I'll give you that. It might be long and drawn out, but it's never boring. All right, guys, uh, that's that's really all the topics I had for today. Did you guys want to add anything before we close out the show? Scott, anything? No, I just want everybody to enjoy the NFL draft. You know, you'll be able to see today's uh, uh, picks, uh, you know, tomorrow's stars uh, being picked today, and I think it's a special time for them, and I think that it really culminates a, a year of scouting. And, you know, a lot of players that we got to see at the University of Miami uh, either playing for the Canes or playing against the Canes are going to be drafted, and uh, it'll be interesting to see where everybody falls. Mike, how about yourself? Anything? Any any last thoughts? Yeah, um, for our fans listening, um, think about what you see the guys that are going to be drafted from Miami this year and who you think Miami should be, like the Alabamas and Florida States. You know, Alabama has had, what, one to three first-round picks the last few years? Um, that go from their school. Um, that may happen again this year with a couple guys, maybe not, but they got an overall depth in the draft of guys, you know, I don't know, eight to ten guys getting picked. Um, but look at where we are. Look at the players we have. All there, They are good players, and they helped us this last, you know, four to five years or, I guess, three to five years. Look at our talent. Um, and then you're gonna, you should, if you're a realistic fan, you start to realize what Golden has had to work with the last, you know, years. Now, some of them were drafted or recruited by him or kept on the team. But, you know, you you got to start realizing being realistic with yourself. You know, if you want us to be like the Alabamas and everything, we have to bring in the right talent for it. You know, it's NFL draft. So watch that. Watch how many of those big schools have and what we have, and then you'll start to realize what he's had to work with the last few years. Uh, thank you, Mike. Uh, Josh Frank, first of all, thank you for coming on the show. Um, sure. Come by any time, especially during basketball season. We'd love to have you on again. Uh, any concluding thoughts, and, and how did you enjoy uh, being our guest today? Uh, well, I, I greatly appreciate you having me on here. Actually, just to follow up on Mike's uh, point about, you know, what the, the big schools and how much talent they have that goes early in the draft, all we have to do is look back a few years to the, you know, first-round pick streak that we had and, and think about, you know, whatever you want to say about the, the coaching or the game-based scheming or anything else, just think about where those teams were talent-wise compared to the rest of college football, and then, as you said, where the, the more successful programs right now are compared to the rest of college football, which sadly includes us currently. 
Um, other than that, uh, just you know, thank you for having me on. This was my my first uh, my maiden voyage on the program, and I hope that I wasn't uh, podcast ambient for too many people. And yeah, I'm sure we can coordinate a time to, to continue some of these discussions as we get closer to basketball season. Um, you know, this is a big off season for Kane's basketball, not only pulling in um, hopefully you know another front court player, but we're doing our first uh, overseas trip in a long time, uh, going to Spain in August, which will give this team the opportunity not only to bond and uh, grow together on the court, but also off the court. And hopefully that will lead us to, uh, you know, success after what was a certainly interesting uh, year coming off of, you know, previous high heights. So keep watching. Let me ask a follow-up question before we close the show, Josh. Who do I have to talk to to get a – on board that trip to Spain because uh... <laughs> I wish I knew. I actually the uh, I think when they sent out the press release that there was some sort of package that they tried to put together for fans. But based off of the price and the interest in Miami basketball, I don't necessarily know that that's going to happen because I certainly had that thought too. You know, maybe there's uh, you know somebody could sneak us in a suitcase or something. Yeah, probably. There. Probably uh, Susan Miller Dagon and uh, Matt Porter and and Manny Navarro and every journalist in in South Florida is probably lined up for that gig if there that gig even exists. I would honestly, with the the and it's another topic entirely, but with the state of the uh, the journalism industry, especially the print journalism industry, I would be very surprised if there's uh, any sort of actual coverage of that trip beyond you know maybe a preview and, and a recap. I doubt anyone's actually going on it. And that as is unfortunate. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, you're allowed to take one overseas trip every four years. We haven't done it in, I think, a, a decade. And it's a great opportunity, and it's an opportunity for, you know, these kids to, to see a part of the world where, you know, they might not otherwise get to see unless maybe they end up playing there someday professionally. You know, Duran Scott's playing professionally in Spain, so... You know, it's a wonderful thing. SB Nation doesn't pay our blogs enough to to pay for our carry-on luggage, so none of us will be going, unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah, but I don't know. I don't know if my savings are going to uh, quite cover the the cost of that trip. All right, guys. On that, see what comes of it. On that uh, very happy note. Uh, I bid you guys adieu. Thank you guys for coming on the show, and thank you to uh, anybody who caught the show and is listening. Uh, we'll be back next week. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks, Thanks everyone. Hey, go. Go do something with the vibe. Thanks, guys.